So it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, and tonight I'm sharing on prayer that moves heaven. Prayer that moves heaven. If you're watching a place, you can put it in the chat. Put it in the chat. Say prayer that moves heaven. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, and while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication, which is a form of prayer, before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. It's a time of prayer. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the commandment or the word came forth, and I'm come to show you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. And so notice the angel tells Daniel, you are greatly beloved in the sight of God. In other words, say that you're so precious to God. It says, as soon as you began to pray, Daniel hasn't finished his time of prayer yet. He just started. He says, as soon as you began to pray, I was sent. The word was given for me to come and talk to you. And isn't that great when we have prayer requests? Man, they're answered just like that. It's, we haven't even said amen yet, but we got the answer. We got the wisdom. We got the understanding. Daniel's having one of these experiences. And this experience is brought to him by an angel who was dispatched from heaven. This angel particularly is Gabriel. We see him a lot in the New Testament. And we see him here in the book of Daniel. And he's been released from heaven to bring insight and understanding to Daniel. Now go to Daniel chapter 10. So we see in an instance of prayer that moved heaven and Daniel had, it was like an automatic answer. And a lot of us want those automatic answers. But once you notice Daniel chapter 10, starting with verse 10, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto you and stand upright for unto you am I now sent. So a being, a heavenly being is speaking to Daniel. And so when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then he said unto me, fear not, Daniel, for for the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chase yourself before your God, your words were heard and I'm come for your words. We see here when he said all of chapter 10 that there was something that bothered Daniel. He needed an answer for God. And so he's been praying and fasting for a few weeks like we will do in November, November 1st to November 21st, our days of prayer and fasting. He's doing this. He's getting answers. He's trying to get answers, but no answer is coming. And we see in chapter 9 how he got a quick answer. So we know Daniel's expecting to hear from God. And it seems to him that's unusual that it's taking so long. But he didn't give up. He kept praying. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say, he kept praying. Yeah, put that in the chat. Say, he kept praying. Here's something else you put in the chat. Say, I'm like Daniel. I keep praying. I'm like Daniel. I keep praying. Say that out loud. Say, I'm like Daniel. I keep praying. Notice the angelic being was sent for his words, the words he said, the words he prayed. And he said, from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chase yourself before your God, your words were heard on the first day. And I'm come for your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. Now, we talked about this. Um, in a little bit of detail this past Sunday, talking about how Satan's called the prince in the power of the air, the prince of those dominions in the air, that he has rank and file, and it's in the atmospheric heaven above us. And that's where he has his kingdom set up to try to influence the kingdoms in the lives of men and women. And so 
this angel was dispatched to bring Daniel understanding, skill, insight, but the angel was prevented from reaching Daniel because of the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now he's not talking about the ruler of the kingdom of Persia. He's not talking about a human being. He's talking about a spiritual being that's under the leadership of the prince and the power of the air. It's a demonic being that is resisting this angelic being from being able to reach the people of God and bring the answer that they're requesting. But notice what he said. He withstood him 21 days. They have been fighting for 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I'm come to make you understand what shall befall your people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. So let's skip down a few verses. And he said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto you, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for ye have strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I came unto you? Now I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I'm gone forth, lo, the prince of Grisha shall come. But I will show you what is noted in the scripture of truth. And there's none that holds with me in these things but Michael, your prince. So what happened? Daniel didn't get the answer as quick as he wanted. But do you know what he didn't do? He didn't give up. He kept on praying. And because he kept on praying, greater angelic assistance was released. This time, it was by Michael, who is called here Daniel, one of the chief princes. He was released to assist this angelic being to get the breakthrough needed to bring the answer to Daniel. Sometimes you do not get what you're praying for as quickly as you want, not before, because God doesn't want you to have it, not because he hasn't sent the answer, not because it doesn't belong to you, but because there is resistance and your prayer pushes through the resistance. And we have to be people who push through the resistance, those who press on toward the mark of the high calling of the anointed one, Jesus. Prayer that moves heaven is persistent and continual prayer. Prayer that moves heaven is consistent and persistent, continual prayer. Let's look at another example. Go to Luke 18. Let's see what Jesus had to say about it. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. So what is the whole purpose of the parable Jesus is about to share? That we should keep on praying and not get tired of praying. Go ahead and put that in the chat. The whole purpose of the parable is for us to keep on praying and not get tired of praying. The whole purpose of the parable is for us to keep on praying and not get tired of praying. So if he has to tell, tell a parable for this purpose, that means there are times we can get tired of praying. Like I'm tired of praying about this. I've been praying about this for so long. Why am I still praying about this? So Jesus told this parable so we wouldn't get tired of praying, but we would keep on praying. He said, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me or she's getting on my last nerve, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming, she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says, and shall not God avenge his own elect 
which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. Notice what Jesus said here. He did not say God is an unjust judge. The judge in the example was an unjust judge who was overcome because someone was persistent in their request and the standing for and the demanding of their rights. So the unjust judge says, I'm just going to give them what they want. Why? Because of persistence. And then Jesus compares the unjust judge to our just judge, our heavenly father. And he says, won't your heavenly father, won't your God, avenge you and avenge you speedily. Those of you who cry day and night to him, what is that? Persistent, continual prayer being offered to God. And then Jesus ends it saying, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. So one of the things Jesus is looking for when he comes back is people with faith, but in context is persistent faith. Faith that doesn't give up just because the answer didn't come quickly. Faith that holds on for the answer to show faith that persists and presses and keeps on praying until the answer shows up. Well, how long do I keep pushing and persisting until you get it? If it's worth it for you to pray about it, it's worth it for you to get the answer of what you're praying for. Go ahead, put that in the chat, say it's worth it. Go ahead, put that in the chat, say it's worth it. Let's go to Acts chapter one. Let's look at another example. Continual, persistent prayer moves heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. So we see here there's 120 people gathered together for these what would be 10 days. In between the ascension of Jesus and the day of Pentecost, they gather together, 120 of them, every single day to pray. Now what happened? Chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so, yes, it's a promise of the Father the Holy Spirit being poured out. It is a promise we see all throughout the Gospels. We even see in the Old Testament being prophesied about. He said, yeah, it came on the day of Pentecost, but notice the atmosphere it was poured out into, the atmosphere the Holy Spirit poured himself into. It was an atmosphere of consistent and persistent prayer because Jesus told them to wait until the Holy Spirit was poured out. And while they waited, they sought God in prayer. And as they prayed, the Holy Spirit was given out and the church was launched to a new level from a time of consistent and persistent prayer. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. This is a story we had looked at earlier in the series on heaven. I encourage you, if you missed any of this heaven series, watch it on our Faith Plus app or watch it on YouTube. Acts chapter 10. So there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared a reverence God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. This is a consistent and continual and persistent praying person. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day or 3 p.m., an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, your prayers 
and your alms are come up for memorial before God. Your prayers and your giving have risen up like a memorial before God. It is like the, it's compared to in the Old Testament, the incense offering. So this rising up, it's risen up before God and it's a memorial. And when you look at this word, when Cornelius recounts the story later on in chapter 10, it means that God has taken notice of your prayers and your giving and he is sending you a response of help. Notice what caused the response of heaven, what caused this angel to be released, what caused the later example of heaven being poured out on Cornelius, his family, his household, his friends, and later on in Acts chapter 10, what caused it? A man who continued and persisted in prayer, just like Daniel, just like Jesus told us we must do. Consistent, continued, continual, persistent prayer moves heaven. Acts chapter 12, verse one. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John with the sword. Remember who James is. Yes, he's John's brother, but James, Peter, and John were some of the closest people to Jesus. They're one, he's one of the original 12 apostles. He's one of the ones who's experienced the life of Jesus for three years. And out of him and Peter and John, they experienced some things with Jesus that the other nine apostles didn't, the other disciples didn't see. And so imagine his unique testimony, his unique ministry, his gifting, the power God has placed in his life. And now he is martyred. He is executed by Herod the king. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, and it's talking about the Jewish leadership who had been opposed to the church, not all Jews, because remember at this time, most of the church outside of what we saw in Cornelius' house and with the Ethiopian and a few others is a mainly Jewish church. So it's not talking about the Jewish people. Here it's talking about the Jewish leadership that had been opposing the church. When he saw it pleased them, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. This lets you know that when James was taken, they didn't pray like this. Why? Did they love James less than Peter? No. You know, we often as believers slip into this thinking, well, Oh, that's going to work itself out. Yeah, that can't happen to so-and-so. They're too spiritual. That can't happen to so-and-so. They're too faithful. That can't, we just like, well, it's just going to happen. You know, whatever will be, will be. And we say, well, we're going to stay positive about this. It's going to change. And so they probably fully expected it to change because as many times the apostles had been arrested before and supernaturally they're released. Angels showed up and released them. They were let go. There's so many times when they've escaped death that for whatever reason, the church did not go into prayer like they should. But now that Peter's taken, they're tired of losing their ministry gifts. They don't want to lose another apostle. Now, Peter is one of the leaders of the church. All of them have been that 12, they're leaders and others. But Peter, man, Peter's one of the main guys. He's that dude. So we can't lose him too. So what do they do? They began to pray and kept praying continually without ceasing. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying, 
get up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, gird yourself and bind on your sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, cast your garment about you and follow me. And he went out and followed him and did not that it was, did not know what was done by the angel was true, but he thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came into the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them of the, his own accord. And when they went out and passed on through one street, forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now of a surety I know the Lord has sent his angel, and he's delivered me out of the hand of Herod from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, you are crazy. But she constantly affirmed it that was even so. And they said, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with his, the hand told them to hold their peace and declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James, that's James, Jesus' brother, and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. What got Peter out? Well, yeah, it was an angel, it was God, yeah. But why? There was a church that persisted in prayer. It brought heaven's response on the scene. They continued in prayer. They persisted in prayer. They kept on praying and they got heaven's response. They got heaven's results. Let's look what Paul told us to do in Colossians chapter four, verse two. Prayer that moves heaven is consistent, persistent prayer. It's not just, I prayed about it once. You know, I pray God bless them. But why don't I see more of heaven's response in my life? You have to be a person who continues in prayer. A person who persists in prayer. There are things that take longer than five minutes to pray about. Like on the day of Pentecost, leading up to the day of Pentecost, that was 10 days of consistent, persistent prayer with that church. Acts chapter 12, they had been praying together without stopping. That's a long period of time. Colossians chapter four, verse two, says continue in prayer and watch in the same way, watch in prayer with thanksgiving. With all, Paul asked, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Skip down to verse 12. He gives you an example of continued prayer. Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ, who was the pastor who started these three churches in Boston List, a servant of Christ salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete and all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and then in Hierapolis. What happens? He says, this man, Paul's watching him. He said, he's always laboring fervent, working hard for you in prayer. What is he praying? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So this is a praying man who continued and persisted in prayer on behalf of these churches he started. It's an example of continued persistent prayer. And by the pattern, we know what's going to happen in their lives. They're going to have heaven's response because of a person who persisted and continued in prayer. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. So we see that the church in Laodicea and Hierapolis and Colossae 
we're going to benefit from consistent continual prayer. Notice what Paul told the churches in Galatia. Because my little children of whom I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now travail, which I spoke about labor, and that's over a period of time. And so Paul is saying here, I labored once. That's how you got born again. I was praying for you. I didn't just preach. I was praying for you consistently and continue laboring in the spirit so that you can be born again. Because now I'm laboring again so that Christ can be fully formed in you. And so when we win people to Jesus, when we bring them into the kingdom of God, that's great, but we don't just turn them loose on their own. We have to keep praying for them so they can grow. We have to be like Epaphras who prayed that they would stand complete and perfect in all the will of God. We see Paul doing the same thing praying that they may stand perfect and complete and be, as he said, until Christ be formed in you. So they're no longer spiritual babies, spiritual infants, but they're mature people in Christ. Go to James chapter five, verse 16. And notice those things aren't one-time events. It is a continued, consistent, persistent type of praying. Well, when do I stop praying that way? Till you get the victory. Until it manifests before your eyes or within your heart, you have that notification like, nope, I prayed it out. I got it. It's done. I can sense it in my heart. I prayed out exactly what God needed me to pray out concerning this. This is what we have to be if you want heaven's response in our lives. Now, you've heard me say again and again in this series, the first time a believer experiences heaven should not be when they get there. They should be so well acquainted with heaven that they can pass out samples on earth. And the way you're able to do that is being a consistent person of prayer. At any time you go to pray, you're able to pray out heaven's response on the scene. That you actually can pray into existence, into being on this plane of living, this plane of existence. What Jesus said, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you can pray out God's will on the earth. It's not que sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. No, there are a number of things that depends on your obedience, on your prayer life, and on you using your authority, like we talked about on Sunday. James chapter 5, verse 16, a familiar passage to a number of us. Let's look at Amplified Classic Edition. It says, confess to one another, therefore your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued, notice, earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have, with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. And he prayed earnestly for it not to rain, and no rain fell upon the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heavens supplied rain, and the land produced its crops as usual. What brought Elijah the results he wanted? Consistent, heartfelt, continued, earnest prayer. If you want heaven's outpouring, if you want heaven's response, if you want heaven's results, you have to offer continued, earnest, heartfelt, persistent prayer. That's what brings heaven's response on the scene. Continual prayer causes powerful heavenly results. Prayers that move heaven are prayers that are offered in persistent faith, like Jesus talked about us in Luke 18. It needs to be prayer that is continually offered. As we talk about how prayers like incense and how they daily lifted it up in the times of the tabernacle, in the times of the temple, that must be our prayer life as spiritual priests. That's what the Bible calls us, we're kings and priests. 
and we continually have to offer up sacrifices to God. And one of those sacrifices is the sacrifice of prayer. Let from our lives flow a continual rise of incense that rises up through the atmosphere, disrupting the plans of darkness, rises before our Heavenly Father and causes His response to be poured out on our life. Let our life be so heavy with prayer that our spiritual being smells like it because we have the incense of prayer rising from our life. Let that be a perfume or cologne that floats from our life. And as we walk past people and walk into places, it fills with the aroma of heaven because of how we pray during our personal times, how we pray in our personal lives. Let our lives produce the incense and the aroma of heaven that disrupts the plans of darkness and brings heaven's response on the scene. That only happens over a period of time as we continue and persist in prayer. I want to read you an example from a life of a man called Daniel Nash. Daniel Nash. And as I was you know, thinking about this message more and praying about the direction to share with you tonight, it was, I remembered this book I had. It's called Daniel Nash, Prevailing Prince of Prayer. And this is a man who became a ministry partner of Charles Finney, one of the great revivalists in this nation. Says, the two men were drawn into a partnership that was ended only by Daniel's death seven years later. Their goals were simply stated in a letter as follows. Says, when Mr. Finney and I began our race, we had no thought of going amongst ministers. Our highest ambition was to go where there was neither minister or reformation and try to look up the lost sheep for whom no man cared. We began and the Lord prospered. But we go into no man's parish unless called. We have room enough to work and work enough to do. Then it says, this evangelistic team operate on the basis of prayer being essential for the preparation of an area for evangelism. This idea was so strong that Finney often sent Nash to an area to prepare the place and people for his coming. Often it would take three or four weeks of prayer to get the area ready. Let us examine a little more closely just how such a thing was accomplished. When God would direct where a meeting was to be held, Father Nash would slip quietly into town and seek to get two or three people to enter into a covenant of prayer with him. Sometimes he had with them a man of similar prayer ministry, April Clary. Together they would begin to pray fervently for God to move in the community. One record of such is told by Leonard Ravenhill. He said, I met an old lady who told me a story about Charles Finney that has challenged me over the years. Finney went to Bolton to minister. But before he began, two men knocked on the door of her humble cottage wanting lodging. The poor woman looked amazed for she had no extra accommodations. Finally, for about 25 cents a week, the two men, none other than fathers Nash and Clary, rented a dark and damp cellar for the period of the Finney meetings at least two weeks. And there in their self-chosen cell, those prayer partners battled the forces of darkness. Let's go to another part of this book. We see that they were, all, they were Charles Finney's prep team. You know, just like before, head of state goes to a certain area, they send their security ahead of time. Before Charles Finney would go to a place to minister, he would send Father Nash and maybe a few others. And what they would do for weeks, sometimes up to four weeks, is pray and get the area ready spiritually so that when the man of God came to preach, it was heaven's response and heaven's results. Let's look at, notice what it says about the opposition. Because a lot of times we think, that, okay, cool, the preacher is going to face the opposition, but Fathers and Nash's prayers were so well known that they didn't want to just come against Charles Finney, who did the preaching. They came against Father Nash, who did the praying. And most of his prayer was not in public. It was in private. It was behind the scenes. He wasn't on the pulpit. He wasn't in the stage. 
but people thought he was just as dangerous as Charles Finney, the one who's preaching and leading the converts to Jesus. Let's look at what it says here. It says, Nash's prayer ministry made him as remarkable a character in his way as Finney himself. The importance of such to Finney's ministry and success cannot be overestimated. Finney depended more upon the prayers of Fathers Nash and Clary to bring down Holy Ghost revival than upon his own resistless logic. So accustomed are we to the Laodicean condition of the church that the all-pervading influence of prayer in Finney's time amazes us. Of the great revival in Rochester, Finney said that the key which unlocked the heavens in this revival was the prayer of Clary, Father Nash, and other unnamed folk who laid themselves prostrate before God's throne and besought him for a divine outpouring. And the revival he's talking about in Rochester, New York, in this time, remember this is the 1800s, 100,000 people gave their life to Jesus, 100,000. Well, 100,000 is a lot of people today, but think about how small the country was back then and how many people 100,000 was in that time. It's a large number in this time, but imagine even in that time. It says, considering the souls being saved and the very culture of the area being changed in such a thorough revival, it should be no surprise that persecution came to these co-laborers. Some came from jealous ministers, some from those of other doctrinal persuasions, and some from the lost. False statements were sent to newspapers by his enemies. Nash wrote a letter May 11th, 1826, telling of some opposition. Part of it said the work of God moves forward in power in some places against dreadful opposition. Mr. Finney and I have both been hanged and burned in effigy. We have frequently been disturbed in our religious meetings. Sometimes the opposers make a noise in the house of God. Sometimes they gather around the house and stone it and discharge guns. There's almost as much writing, intrigue, and lying and reporting of lies as there would be if, it were, if we were on the eve of a presidential election. Oh, what a world. How much it hates the truth. How unwilling to be saved. But I think the work will go on. Then it says, the enemies of revival counted Nash a full partner to Finney in the work. They feared and hated his praying, at least as much as they did Finney's preaching. The best known revival of this period in American history was that which occurred in Rochester, New York. Over 100,000 were considered to have been soundly converted during those meetings. Nash and Clary teamed up for the praying with the assistance of others. Notice that when they went after Finney, they went after Nash too because they said it's the two of them together producing heaven's result. The word was coming. There's also someone praying and making the place ready. And so they continued like this in seven years. And I want you to close sharing what Charles Finney had to say about Father Nash. He said that one of the last things he did before he left this earth, he was praying for the nations of the world, taking a map and praying over them. And when he had finished, he went home. Charles Finney says about him, he was the reproach of the ungodly and of the carnal, of unbelieving professors, but he was the favorite of heaven and a prevailing prince of prayer. Here's an example from history within our own nation of change that was brought forth because people persisted in prayer. Will you be a person that persists in prayer? that brings forth heaven's response, whether you stand in a pulpit or not, whether you pray in your prayer closet, you pray while you walk, where you pray in the kitchen, will you be a persistent person of prayer? That your prayer life smells like the incense of heaven because of the prayers that are offered from your life, that it will disrupt the plans of darkness and continually bring 
heaven's response on the scene. This is an invitation from your heavenly father to be that type of person. And I say, well, pastor, how do I start? How do I do that? You know, you talk about all these deep, different types of prayer. Here's how you do it. Just start. Take time every day and pray. And after you in praying what you know to pray out of your mind and your understanding, take time every day to pray in the spirit. If you do that consistently, if you do that continually, if you persist in prayer, even past the distractions and the things that try to steal from your prayer time, as you continue in prayer, doors in the spirit will open to you and you pray out more things and you have a greater impact and things will change every time you open your mouth to pray. But to get to that place, you have to persist. You have to continue. You have to push in prayer because continued, persistent, consistent, fervent prayer brings heaven's response. This is the type of praying that moves heaven. You can have heaven's response in your life if you pray this way. Thank you.